Good morning, everybody. This is uh, Jim Barton and Abigail Conley, and we're here with another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Um, today, our first topic is going to be about the environment, and we're motivated by um, our country's most recent decision to back out of the Paris Accords or to not re-up the Paris Accords or whatever silly nonsense we're dealing with right now from um, our current leader. Um, but obviously we want to talk today about how the um, scripture impacts our understanding of environment. And Abby has asked me to do the first part of that, so I'm going to keep talking for a little bit before we hear from Abby. But, um, you know, I think that the obvious place to go for um, the scriptural impact of, uh, on the environment is the creation stories. And I think in both um, the first story, which was the much later written story, where we have God calling things into being, let there be light, you know, let there be animals or whatever, and sea creatures and all that stuff. Um, there's a recognition that humans play a special role, and I think with that comes the idea of a special obligation to take care of the creation. And then in the second story, which is the story um, that comes from God sort of scooping up the mud and blowing life into humans and very lovingly bringing forth the creation, I think that story to me very much communicates an idea, communicates an idea of a special um, intimate relationship between human beings and nature. And again, gives us um, cause uh, to recognize that the creation is something special, it's something that we should take care of. I guess the last thing for me is that, you know, um, in the last um, episode that I sort of kind of read essentially from my sermon, I talked about how one of the notions of God is the presence of God in everything, especially in nature. And so we hear that in the Psalms, we hear some stuff about God being present in the storm, um, we hear about um, God being present in the crops and in, 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 in nature in general, and I think I think that's another reason for us to sort of take the creation seriously and to take seriously our role as stewards of that creation. Um, so with that, I wanted to pass it over to Abby to let her talk a little bit about basically her reaction to some of those ideas. So I am not particularly a fan of stewardship of creation as a major um, driving point of Christian faith. And I think for me, it's a lot because it strikes me as incredibly elitist. Um, it's kind of the, oh, you know, hippy-dippy, we're all at one with nature, and I go buy my food at a farmer's market or Whole Foods where other people do all of the work. And so seeing this, um, seeing this relationship with creation as something that is purely good and we should work at is really different from the people who are growing food for you to eat. Um, it's really different of like, well, yeah, you want your food organic. Well, the pests are going to eat it then. If you grow it without some of those chemicals, guess what? You're going to have a third the harvest maybe if it's a bad year. Two-thirds the harvest that you might have had otherwise if it's a good year. Um, so you get those things where they really, really actually... Um, are antithetical to human experience and I grew up on a farm we probably wouldn't have made it financially if um, we hadn't grown a lot of our own food um, if we hadn't had cattle that was a lot of our meat and I know we wouldn't have made it without the income from the farm and most of that was tobacco um, selling some hay selling some cattle as well so there's like a 
So I feel like there's two things going on there. One thing is a notion that maybe they don't know, or maybe they don't have, they don't know what they're talking about. But then I feel like also there's like a you know we joke about Appalachia versus Appalachia, uh -huh. and Appalachia is the way the oppressor says it. Yes. Well, I just said joke, but give the expression on your face, but we don't joke about that. <laughs> maybe I joke about that, and you very seriously say that. But I mean, I think there's so there's some cultural underpinning stuff there. That is, that is, I think, present in the analysis that you just gave. I right. Think. And in order to cultivate the land, you have to push back against creation. I mean, that's a very real... You have it's to not natural. No. You have to till the ground. You have to put weed killer out or spend days pulling and hoeing weeds. And so it becomes, in order to actually get that out, it's the curse of Eden that, you know, you get food by the sweat of your brow. Yeah. And it's this really cool... Because in Hebrew, you know, nothing is just an emotion. Like, it's literally like your face turns red and there's sweat dripping off your nose. It's like, no, this is hard labor. Because it is. Um, it's incredibly hard labor. And one of the ones that our culture has completely undervalued, which might have to do with why we can undervalue, you know, um, lowering our carbon emissions, which was part of the Paris Accord. And do you think the scripture romanticizes the relationship between humans and the earth or do you think that's entirely a modern lens that we look at where we sort of and I hear what you're saying by the way the romantic I mean that's one of the things we talk about with indigenous peoples how we kind of flip back and forth between characterizing them as you know these subhuman savages to these like utopian you know peaceful creatures that float on the, you know like neither one of right. those myths are helpful or good so I think it um, I think there is a lens that causes romanticizing. I think it is also a particular worldview that we come to with that lens that causes the romanticizing. Because so much of scripture isn't about, oh, look at the animals frolicking together. The image of the peaceful kingdom is a reversal of the natural order where, you know, this is a predator lying down with prey. It's the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Well, guess what? The heavens are, in ancient Near Eastern thought, are above you. They're full of angels and those things, and the stars are literally suspended in a dome. So when you take these things that God literally orchestrated and put together versus conversation with how the world evolved and how life was called forth from nothing, those are very, very different conversations. Right, right. But there is a... But you have more sympathy for uh, environmentalism when it's about social justice. I do. Um, Mostly because all of the things that industrialized countries do tend to um, hurt the poorest among us. And at this point, we're talking about a global economy and exploitation of the poorest people. Because the truth is, in the United States, um, part of the Paris Accord was will reduce our um, emissions as the second largest producer of carbon emissions, second only to China. Um, still pretty low in the overall scheme of things and ignores the fact that hey not only are we one of the two biggest producers now together with China we constitute 40% of the world's emissions we also are widely to blame for the fact that we're facing rising temperatures now so when you talk about though what the United States stake in it well we can pull out because we're not worried about food we can buy food from wherever we can you know, put up greenhouses. We'll figure that part out. What the if people who can't figure out on the planet Earth, it's going to be borne by the poorest countries. Right, and we might have caused it, but we're not going to pay for it. Right, because right now Somalia is in famine. 
and there are constant stories of, you know, a hundred people are dying a day. How many people from lack of food in a place that is agrarian, that is dependent upon what they can get right there, and um, is dependent upon foreign aid from the richest countries to maybe stave off a full-out famine in the midst of this drought. A drought that is caused because our weather patterns have shifted. And also in some cases that are caused because there have been forces that have driven them to produce cash crops mm -hmm. that aren't crops that can be used for food locally. Right. And it's interesting because when we talk about this component of it, if you think about, for example, the story of Ruth, um, Ruth was uh, gleaning the fields right around Boaz, and, and that right. was kind of how he, you know, she, she sort of first came to his attention, and there's that, that whole story. But, and then, of course, that's in the, the, the Torah, right? Is that law that says you have to leave the, 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 the stuff around your field so that the poor can, be, can eat. We are in a weird situation where we're totally detached from the very poor. Right. In our country, first off, right? Because there's just a farmer who goes over there and produces the food and it shows up in a container, like you said, at Whole Foods for us to take care of. Mm -hmm. but, but even beyond that, the, the real poverty um, imbalances globally, and we don't even see those people that live in Somalia. We don't even see the people that right. suffer from, you know, we get excited about quinoa for a while and it hurts somebody's economy in some place, some other country, we don't have to look at it. Well, and one of the, you know, really good... Yes, so the incredible Yes, thank you. One of the really kind of weighted conversations is around corn because um, corn in the United States is primarily animal feed and used for bio biofuels. So this becomes, because we made this decision, that becomes what corn crops throughout the world are geared toward. And so us being willing to buy up corn from other countries for biofuels means that the price of corn goes up every place else. So it's been several years ago now, but when that was kind of one of those first conversations about, hey, our demand is now high enough, we're buying from other people, the president of Mexico said, don't do this. Don't use food for fuel, because my people aren't going to be able to afford their tortillas. Yeah. And a very real, your demand is destroying this other economy and these other people who aren't going to be able to afford food. It epitomizes an idea we talked about a long time ago on the podcast, which is that idea of corporate sin, of a sinful conduct by a society of sort of putting its needs so high that it destroys another mm -hmm. another community. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a, probably a good covering of that that topic. Um, and um, from whatever perspective, I think you know you can see value in sort of treating and treating treating the creation more lovingly, or you can think about caring for uh, others um, and sort of atoning for the, the sins of our society even in that context. So um, until next time, um, we're signing off from uh, uh, Bloody Mary Bible Bunch. Cheers.